I like to drink coffee, you'd rather have tea But we both like hot beverages and we take them very seriously So let's sit at the table and take some time to be Welcome to Different Together, a podcast that explores the spaces between different communities and imagines building new ones together. I'm Rebecca Farlow, and I am joined today by Paula Klein, therapist extraordinaire. Welcome back, Paula. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I love this show. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad you could come back. And the really good news is that Paula will be back multiple times this year. Um, And why is that, Paula? Well, uh, Rebecca and I got into a conversation about something that I'm really passionate about and my goals for the new year. I am not typically a New Year's resolution type person, but last year I got it in my mind that I wanted to listen to the vital in a year and that has been wrapping up. And so I was thinking about how I wanted to take that time and use it in the new year. Mm -hmm. And what I felt that I had taken away from my time in Bible in a year during 2022 is how important it is to have a really solid understanding of who Jesus was. If you want to have a solid understanding of anything else that happens in the Bible, at least through the lens of a Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. And so Um, I thought and had heard about a plan where you read through the Gospels, all four of them every month for a year. And so I was like, I think this is a great idea. I want to know what uh, the Bible has to say about Jesus first and foremost. And I really love the thought of, you know, arriving at the end of 2023, really feeling like I have spent a diligent amount of time uh, studying and getting to know that aspect of scripture. Awesome. And I think I might be doing this along with you oh, so, that I, so that I can keep up in, uh, yeah. in these conversations. Or I feel like I couldn't be, I am a Christian because of Jesus. I mean, I know that's like, so right. Right. But I really um, became super fascinated by him as a historical figure and a social figure Mm -hmm. before I um, really bought into him as a religious or um, messianic figure. Mm -hmm. I felt like he didn't look like, behave like, address social concerns like anybody else I had ever witnessed. And this isn't to say that I don't admire or enjoy many other social or philosophical figures. I think they're amazing. I am inspired by the way that they live. But there was something about how Jesus moved, interacted, built relationships, um, decided to spend his time that just captivated me and i just love that and i love the idea of spending a year studying that and knowing it in even more depth and more nuanced way Mm -hmm. Uh, i think i'm gonna have the best time so see that's excellent 
yeah, and I think the idea is you're gonna kind of show up each month, and we'll talk about what what you have uh, gleaned and what you're learning about Jesus and all of that. Yeah, that's the plan. I um, I'm planning to journal about it. It's kind of ended up <laughs> becoming this multifaceted experience. So I'm taking recommendations for various biblical translations mm. so that I won't be rereading the same Bible yeah. every month. Mm -hmm. uh, I have decided to, there's this television series called The Chosen. I'm going to try to watch the entire series of The Chosen over the course of the year and see what I think about that. That's <laughs> also um, aimed at providing this uh, I think hopefully more human, more relatable, more experiential view of who Jesus is. Um, I, you know, I think it will be really interesting to do that. It just so happens that the Bible study that I follow, they're starting the new year with like the life of Jesus as the Bible study. There you go. It's you know, like God's nodding at this kind of idea. So, and so the opportunity to invite as many people into this journey, even just to hear how it is impacting me is wonderful. And the idea of co-journeying with you is super fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm excited. What, what are, do you have translations currently that you go to? What are they? Um, I, I probably am most, this year has mostly been the CSB, which is the Christian standard Bible. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, I um, was in the NIV or the TNIV, which mm -hmm. are, uh, the New International Version. Uh, mm -hmm. Sitting on my coffee coffee table is an ESV, the English Standard Version. Mm -hmm. I also have. I grew up Catholic, so mm -hmm. I set up Catholic Bibles in the house. Um, I. It's funny. I couldn't tell you if they're King James Catholic. Uh -huh. I, I've always just known them as Catholic Bibles because hmm. I've ended up being the most identified as the most religious person in my family which is really funny if you um if you were to know me better maybe you will over the course of this year um but so whenever any of the old relatives die their bible gets passed down to me no <laughs> i love that that's I mean, awesome but i so I have a very deep sentimentality about where people go when they are in their lowest moments of distress. Hmm. And so the idea that I am holding this object that like probably walk these people through the darkest or most painful moments of their life, like they literally held them in their hands when someone died mm -hmm. or when they were trying to process something they couldn't understand. I, I can have kind of a an approach of seeing that as like a relic almost like this mm -hmm. is like a really meaningful object from this person's life. Yeah. So I love the Bibles for that reason, but I also just love the Bibles. So many of my Catholic Bibles do have that more old English sounding mm -hmm. killer. So I can yeah. throw down with that too. Nice. What are your favorite translations? Yeah, mine are all different. Um, so I go with the Common English Bible, uh -huh. um, which is a newer one that um, a lot of the Fuller professors and other folks kind of put together maybe 10 years ago. Uh -huh. um, and oh, I didn't say the message. Do you do the message? Yeah, the message and the Common English are my 
two favorites. Then also the new revised standard is just it's used by a lot of seminary folks. So um, those are the three. But for forever, like in college and stuff, I was definitely like NIV and past that, and it was it probably switched over. Yeah, I I enjoy the message for like I usually when I'm doing things for church, I look at like the Common English Bible and the Message mm-hmm. concurrently. My um, favorite Bible, my most well-loved, well-highlighted, written-in-the-margins Bible is a TNIV, the message, parallel Bible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I love that. I mm-hmm. mean, I feel like whenever you, whenever I'm really wrestling with a concept and bringing it into modern language or I'm really wondering, you know, what might this mean for a reader today, like I mm-hmm. feel like I'm missing something here. The mm-hmm. message can provide a window uh, or an access point to how to interpret that through our our way of communicating. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool. Yeah, and so are you going to be like listening to this? Um, maybe you can yeah. share with us. You said it was hard to find. I remember. Oh yeah, it's so it's. Presently, it's a podcast called Let's Read the Gospels, but it's not out yet. So no one has done it. It releases January 1st. I'm not sure when this will release. So you all may be able to find it immediately. So I'll be listening to that. I will probably be reading along uh, if I if I don't prefer the version being read. I might read a different version and we'll just kind of see mm-hmm. how it proceeds through the course of the year. I think my first month, like walking into January, I I don't have any pressing questions that I feel like I'm bringing to the text. Mm-hmm. I think I'm bringing a pretty open mind and open thought process to it. I imagine though, this is going to be a snapshot of a year of my life as well. Mm-hmm. And so it will be interesting to see how each month or even in the course of a month, what sort of things come up. Mm-hmm. I think I bring myself a lot to my scripture reading. So, you know, as a therapist, I will be walking through difficult seasons of people's lives or I'll be very touched by their story or an insight that they're having that I get to experience with them. And I'll bring that to my scripture reading. You know, how do I see, in this case, this year, Jesus interacting with those kinds of questions or issues? How do Mm -hmm. I encounter him or envision him showing up to someone in this particular circumstance or situation? and I I think that that probably will color a lot of how we talk about things or what are the things that I'm walking away from thinking about mm-hmm. as I look at the text this year. Yeah. I know I'll have some heavy things to bring to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm just facing a real life, you know? Yeah. I have a 17 year old daughter. In the course of this year, she will go from being a junior to being a senior in high mm-hmm. school. There's a good chance that um, we will be talking about 
post high school options for her in this year? And what does it mean to have a child that takes a very different path than I would have taken mm-hmm. um, post high school or even through high school? Uh, I'm married. I have a career. I have financial pressures and loved ones. Uh, I, I think scripture reading for me and wanting to know Jesus is partly I'm an intellectual, so I love academic pursuits. I love knowledge. I love getting to know things. Mm-hmm. But I also think that I'm hoping this sort of concentration on Jesus will mean that he's more present in all of those decisions and experiences for me too. Mm-hmm. Did you ever read Tattoos on the Heart? Um, Greg no, Boyle? I on my bookshelves. It has... Mm-hmm. I wonder, gosh, mm-hmm. I wonder if you should read that along with it this year. But <sighs> what the reason I'm thinking about it is because he has this section in there where he talks about um, the narrow way, the narrow way, you know, and people often interpret that as, oh, there's just so many, there's so few ways to get to God and to get to Jesus. And he's like, no, I mean, I just think it's the way is narrow. Like this is like... I don't feel like I'm going to explain this adequately, but just like it's, you know, there is God and that is the way, but you know, like um, rather it's, it's taking it from a concept of, Oh, there's only this one small way to actually know it's the way is like, this is all there is around us. Like this is the way, right. Um, I'm, I'm gesturing with my arms and making like a really big uh, circle. So I'm in the editing room floor here and I have found the section in Tattoos on the Heart that I want to actually read uh, for you guys to, to make it a little bit more clear what I was trying to say. This is from page 31. Jesus in Matthew's gospel says, how narrow is the gate that leads to life? Mistakenly, I think we've come to believe that this is about restriction. The way is narrow, but it really wants us to see that narrowness is the way. St. Hedwig writes, all is narrow for me. I feel so vast. It's about funneling ourselves into a central place. Our choice is not to focus on the narrow, but to narrow our focus. The gate that leads to life is not about restriction at all. It is about an entry into the expansive. There is a vastness in knowing you're a son or daughter worth having. We see our plentitude in God's own expansive view of us, and we marinate in this. Yeah. Yeah, I think people, I do think we tend to really want to oversimplify a pretty massive God. Mm-hmm. And so frequently I will think to myself, you know, Am I taking the notion of God seriously? Mm-hmm. And by that, what I mean is I do a little practice of grounding myself in how large the universe is, how expansive the oceans are, how infinite human consciousness is, how deep empathy is. Um, and I realize in just the process of even trying to wrap my mind around these concepts, that my mind isn't capable of grasping the edges of these concepts that we've defined. Mm-hmm. 
And God created those things. Mm-hmm. So those are things that to him are that are, you know, like my day planner, you know, like right. I so if 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 the things that I am able to tangibly interact with, I can viscerally experience, I can examine images of. If I can't, it's like trying to touch the edges of those things is beyond my grasp. Certainly, if I'm going to be entertaining the idea of an all-creating, powerful, divine agent that created those things, I have to set out from the outset that I am never going to be able to compartmentalize or define or restrain Mm -hmm. that yeah it's just you're not you're not giving yourself enough space if you are trying to do that and so um you know and i think our insecurities really shape how we encounter scripture too so the reason you're so inclined to want to make god into this very black and white agent is because we're just scared that we're going to be unworthy or unlovable or failing in some way. And we're like, could you just like hand me something that makes me feel certain that this is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, for me, Jesus incarnation life personhood is that assurance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when we want rules, that's one way of kind of grasping for that assurance. Yeah. Like, I can know I didn't murder anyone, right? So Right, so we're good. Yeah. We're right. So I think that's why people think when the way is like so mm-hmm. new. It's because it, it just makes it feel controllable. And um, it makes me also think about this metaphor, which I would be interested in your feedback about. One of the things that I frequently talk to people about when it comes to pursuing a life with God is... I'll say something like, imagine God is a star out in the universe and people are all various forms of things in the gravitational orbit of this star. If, you know, some are planets, comets, asteroids, but we're all in the gravitational orbit of this. And if our goal is to orient ourselves toward that light, if I am, you know, a planet that's on the opposite side of the solar system from a different planet, the directions I might give, you know, if I'm Earth and I'm talking to Neptune or Jupiter, mm-hmm. and I try to give it directions about how to orient itself toward the light, mm-hmm. it could actually orient that planet in the wrong way mm-hmm. because it's in a different spot in the universe. It isn't starting from the same place that I'm starting. I can only say things like, you'll notice it's really bright, very hot. Mm -hmm. And it it seems to have a grasp on you that keeps yanking you around. Mm -hmm. But what I can't say is turn left, turn right, three light years up, two light years to the right. That sort of specific directions implies that you are in exactly the same space that Mm -hmm. I'm in, which I think is probably a poor assumption for most other people. (laughs) 
No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I don't think any two people are in the same place. So, um, planets start, you know, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's actually a really helpful illustration and that we have, yeah. And that learning to talk about things like that is so different than so much of what people raised in various Christian faiths grow up to learn. Yeah, I think we feel it in our gut that like most most people are are caught up in something that's a lot about fear and shame management mm-hmm. instead of like wonder and meaning and love. Mm-hmm. I really trust my body about that. I mm-hmm. wish I could tell you like, oh, there are like these key phrases people say, and if you just pay attention to, you know their vernacular in this way or that way, then mm-hmm. you'll be able to spot who it is. But I really feel like it's in your stomach, like, or at least it's in my stomach or it's in my heart. My body is what tells me is like every part of me is like, this does not make me feel like unfolding. This does mm-hmm. not make me feel seen or drawn in, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why I like that metaphor about the light because what I find is if people will listen to where they where they long for the light, I mean, they, they want to go that way. Mm-hmm. They, you want to unfold and blossom and feel safe. Like, there is a deep longing in you for that kind of connection and that kind of health and wholeness mm-hmm. that if you listen to it, it won't. It won't guide you poorly. Mm-hmm. I just think a lot of times we're really scared that it's going to lead us down some sort of dark path. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I just, I don't know. It isn't that it's all pleasure either, but it's, yeah, but I don't know. I think we know when we're up to stuff that like makes us feel good but isn't for us. yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, because I don't think we did this last time, like kind of your faith background or did we do that last time? Yeah, Yeah, I'm Mm. happy to tell you. So I um, was born to two parents who were brought up by Catholic Midwesterners. I'm so careful about that because I think though my parents did baptize me in a Catholic church, and send me to Catholic school through the eighth grade. Uh, they, I would say, are soulful. They are. They take notions like Christianity and the ethics it teaches very seriously. But I would not describe them as dogmatic in any way. Uh, the bookshelves in my house, for example, were filled with various religious traditions so you might find a book on reincarnation on the shelf in my house so sort of very open-minded spiritually but had come from pretty consistently catholic backgrounds my grandmother on my father's side for example had holy water screwed into the door frames of her home so we're talking like serious Mm -hmm. you go for no and pray for people very serious Catholic on that side of the family. And my grandmother on my mother's side, she still goes to Mass every Sunday. So mm-hmm. he had a, a relatively strong tradition of Catholicism on both sides of my family. But my parents 
lived in Las Vegas, which was like 1,800 miles away from those folks. Mm -hmm. And they were also quite encouraging of my questioning spirit or nature. In in the eighth grade, I um, basically decided not to get confirmed. So in the tradition that I was brought up in, you would go to catechism between eighth and ninth grade, usually, or ninth and tenth grade at the latest, and then you would be confirmed in the faith. Uh-huh. I was so I was in line because I went through the grade to get involved in catechism. Mm-hmm. I chose not to. I chose not to because we had this really cool young priest that was involved in my eighth grade class, and he had decided to get this like jug and he would let any of us eighth graders ask any questions we wanted to anonymously of him Mm -hmm. and he would answer them. And so some boys in our class, I don't know who they were, put a question in the jar, are you a virgin? And he um, got the question and he kind of graciously sidestepped. He said something along the lines of, you know, that's not appropriate for me to answer. Or that's not really a theological question. Um, and, you know, we all laughed because he said the word virgin, you know, when you're right here. <laughs> and, but then he never came back to teach us again because, I mean, nobody came out and gave a bulletin on this, but my 13-year-old self surmised that because he didn't say absolutely I am a virgin and that's the way Aubrey should be sort of mm-hmm. situation, that that ended up being an issue and causing that sort of open, honest discourse to end. Mm-hmm. And I was not having it. Hmm. So I was like, I have no space for this. Like, this isn't, I don't believe that this is an actual faith tradition if you are going to encourage people to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, that has nothing to do with anything you say you're teaching, and I'm out of here. And my parents were like, yeah, that's fine. We probably should have done that. So I, I don't want to give the impression that they were anything other than supportive. They they were always super supportive of me. Mm-hmm. That led to kind of a meandering around aimlessly at times, agnostic, atheistic. I was Wiccan for a while. I got really serious about Buddhism for a few years. I had, I've had friends from all over the world. So I've had Muslim friends and I've had uh, Hindu friends. I'm, I'm a very big fan of a Hindu poet named Rumi. I just, I mean, you want to read some beautiful poetry about God. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, just beautiful. And so, but I, I meandered my way back to Jesus after my daughter was born. I, I was a therapist already, and one of my clients was reading A Purpose Driven Life, which the I did not know it was a Christian book. This mm-hmm. person is a pop psychology person. And uh-huh. so they have gone through, I don't know, six or seven different pop psychology books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it never had a good impact on therapy. It always encouraged the worst behaviors on the person. And so I was like, oh, here we go again. 
what has she gotten herself into now? Right. And they had a stack of them at a Costco. And so I picked it up and I bought it because I wanted to know what I was getting into with this client. Mm-hmm. And I decided to read it. And the book opens with something like, this book isn't in your hand by accident. This is supposed to be 40 days that change your life. And if you'll take this bet, like it'll change your life. And I was like, okay, well, fine. And I wish I had it with me because I would not say that I walked away, you know, Rick Warren is my, my, my apostle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a generous, gentle, um, warm gentleman. And I mm-hmm. was fine with a lot of what he said, but I was also not fine with a lot of what he said. Uh-huh. And witness the encounter with the book. It's like an ongoing, I wrote in red pen in it. It's like an ongoing fight. With me and things I don't like about what he's saying, mm-hmm. written all over this book, but it did do what it promised, which was it started a conversation that has not stopped between mm-hmm. myself and God about the big questions. Like mm-hmm. I remember there was this this one chapter that was about um, life is a test, mm-hmm. and I was like, what is this girl? Life is a test. (laughs) And I have really wrestled with that question through scripture and encountering encountering pastors, giving sermons or listening to smart people talk, blog posts. And I walked away with this idea that there is some way in which life is a test. It's kind of like a pregnancy test. Life tells you what's inside you. Like if you're paying attention, how you respond to things in this life, tell you what's going on with you. God doesn't need to know. God does not need the pregnancy test. God knows exactly what's going on inside of you, but you need to know. Hmm. Like you need to know what's going on inside of you. And I don't think that that was Warren's point. I honestly can't remember. Because this is like years of me Mm -hmm. about this question. Like, life is a test? What kind of, like, God makes babies and then tests them? Yeah. Horrible. I think that I'd be dead. And it has resulted in this sort of life philosophy, which is, oh, you know, and, and Buddhists will say things like that, too. They'll say things mm-hmm. like, you want to know how what's going on in your own heart? Look at how you interpret the things that are going on around you. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. like life is a test in the way that it teaches you all about your own heart mm-hmm. and what you need and are longing for and what hurts you and what grows you. So... Mm-hmm. That's kind of the process. I got baptized in there somewhere. That was a whole other thing. Flying <laughs> circle, and I was like, I don't need to be baptized. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> oh man! Um, and what's your experience with church? Well, well, real Catholic. So mm-hmm. I love. Ironically, I am highly sentimental highly sentimental about high church. I mm-hmm. did not have bad experiences in high church. I mean, I don't, I also don't think I became particularly biblically literate, but 
it smells good and it pretty. pretty. I did not experience anything in church itself that I found oppressive or problematic. I was never super thrilled about things like needing to confess to a priest in a booth. I remember having questions about that even as young as like nine or 10 years old being like, Mm -hmm. what is this nonsense? Like, why do I have to talk to this person in a row? That seems weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I can kind of appreciate the idea of a safe place to bring your confessions, you know? I think it's a way of identifying a person who can be trusted to absorb things that are really hard. Because, I, you know, when you grow up, you realize that isn't something you can just bring to every friend you have. So well, yeah. Well, you and I talked once about, um, you said you thought your profession came about because atheists need priests. Yeah, and uh-huh. I said, and I thought also that women need places to be priests. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It gave me an opportunity to be a healer in a way that my faith tradition would not have welcomed me. You know, if I hadn't mm-hmm. decided to be Catholic, receiving confession and counsel as a part of my my faith tradition would not have been an option. At least mm-hmm. not so far. Maybe sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so, oh, you asked me uh, church. So, so Catholic church is fine. I, mm-hmm. but when I walked away, I walked away. I didn't continue to go to mass. I have mostly been a drop-in church person in that I've not really developed a strong church community except for this one, like, well, two little pockets of time. One pocket of time was when I was. Right after that Rick Warren situation, my talk therapist referred me to a local church that was like a mega church in Vegas that I went to. And I don't know how mega it is compared to some of these places. Like we're sure. not talking stadium seating. Right, right. It was it was large, but I made a really significant connection with one of their pastors. I think he was called like the community pastor or the teaching pastor. He wasn't the senior pastor. Mm-hmm. He's actually the person who baptized me. And uh, I think my relationship with him and my ability to talk with him about scripture and the way that he was open-minded enough to take on someone who really had uh, serious questions and was not deterred with any sort of like half-hearted answer was really welcome. I really loved that experience. Mm-hmm. At that same church, I got involved with the women's Bible study there. Mm-hmm. And that was really, I, I would say in terms of when we're talking like acts type of church, like people in each other's lives loving each other well, Mm-hmm. Like being the church to one another, my women's Bible study was absolutely that. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like eight women got together every week, various perspectives and backgrounds. You know, we had empty nesters to college students, freshly married to not gonna be married to divorce three times, like. It was quite a ragtag group of us. And I think that's what made it so remarkable. Like mm-hmm. ethnicities were varied, stages of life, socioeconomic status. And we really met each other with a high degree of respect and love for one another. 
in a way that I think doesn't make sense outside of a church context. Like, mm-hmm. like I tell you now, like uh, there were definitely, for example, in that little tribe, uh, women I could absolutely anticipate would be Trump supporters, like eating dinner at houses of people who would absolutely be, um, you know, running the Democratic campaign. Mm-hmm. And I, I, because I wasn't living there during this most recent year, I mean, it's that kind of like disagreement, like, yeah. and loving each other, even like aggressively loving each other, despite those sorts of differences mm-hmm. that was happening in that room and forwarding mm-hmm. each other. I mean, two of the women there, I was a freaking blue, blue, blue graduate student. I mean, now I'm not really political, but at that time I was mm-hmm. a graduate student in a liberal arts degree program. I was as deeply blue as they come. And then two women who were like, you should be leading in this community. You should be helping talk. We want to get you on the stage. Like, you know, things about scripture. Both of them were like red, like, mm-hmm. and, and there was no, like, you need to get in line. You need to stop with your affirming attitudes about sexual decision-making or nature mm-hmm. reasons. Like, no, it was like, we believe in you and we're behind you and we're out you. So mm-hmm. that is probably the closest thing to like church, church that I had. Then I mm-hmm. moved to Indiana and then I was involved with the church too. And I, I was happy there. I think that church was always kind of complicated in that they had much uh, stricter gender roles there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the people that I got along with the best were, at least in terms of like, let's sit down and like talk about the Bible for three hours, were all men. Yeah. And I was a woman. And I got. I felt a little bit like fouled into women's activities, which in that community, in some respect was okay, but in some respect involved more, I don't know, childcare related thing or event like hosting events. Yeah. And I am like, let's sit and talk for an hour about how I want to read about Jesus for a year. Like, this yeah. is the theme. Um, I can bake a cookie, but that isn't what I feel most compelled to bring to my church community. Mm-hmm. And so I think I ultimately drifted away because I didn't really feel like there was a space for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since I moved to North Carolina, I've been in and out of various churches. If I know, you know, is mostly not great for me. I think I think I'm not well fed by a church because I'm not well connected to a church. Yeah, but it can be hard to find, right? Well, I mean Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. And I think I think finding a healthy church is just hard. You mm-hmm. know? I think yeah. that- what I think it means to be a church and like maybe I am in a church in a sense that like I have this small group of people that I share my thoughts on my Bible reading with every day mm-hmm. and they talk to me and I talk to them and, and send each other stuff when someone's sick and you know we take care of each other and pray for each other like maybe that's what church is you know mm-hmm. yeah I mean 
my favorite, my, I've told you this, but my most compelling church-like experiences were with uh, GCN, the Gay Christian Network. Um, and we were not, like, you know, it was... I was involved with people at things like outside of the annual conference, but it was like the annual conference was like, it was like a week of, you know, the most church (laughs) experience I've ever been in, I think, in terms of total and complete acceptance across difference, like really the love of God valued above all else. And, and with a desire for that to be facing outward, like people were feeding each other, but it was like, also, and then we were turning outward and like, just such a welcoming space. So, yeah, I think you're, I think what makes me as passionate about your podcast as I am is I do think that one of the hallmarks of an authentically Christian community is one in which there are miraculous connections. Like, where the body of Christ materializes and you know it is because it's people that in any other context you could not envision joining hands and moving forward with one another. Mm -hmm. If it is easy for you to see because these people share similar views from how they dress to where they eat to what neighborhood they live in, you know, when you Mm -hmm. have this like really high degree of agreement, that is wonderful. I I mean, I, I like to be among people that I feel similar to, but that is a hallmark of the body of Christ. Like Mm -hmm. when you're in the, with the body of Christ, you're like, I don't understand how this is even possible. Right. Like I am in awe of this. Mm-hmm. It humbles you. Like for me, it usually crumbles any sort of pride that I have hanging around. Or mm-hmm. I just, it really encourages me to just be more open, more loving, more generous. And that, and, and then the gravity of that. I think does inherently turn outward. I mean, it's like an overflowing. Mm-hmm. So one of the Bible verses I memorized a long time ago was, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And I, I chose that one because I had a real difficult time trusting God. So that's why I was memorizing Trust versus trust versus as I was like, this is what you trust God for to mm-hmm. overflow mm-hmm. by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like mm-hmm. this is it. Like this is who I want to be. And so when you were talking about turning out word, I was thinking like that, yeah, that is a manifestation of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh I'm so well loved I can't contain it. Like I yeah. go on. I have it to share now. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And my experience in that community too was like, and this has been my experience consistently throughout my my lifetime of faith, but like, is that people who have been marginalized and are still holding to their, like, still holding on to their faith in Jesus and in God, 
Like they are the ones who actually can take care of the rest of us. And, um, like in ways that I, I don't think, I think it would be just difficult for someone who hasn't been to even comprehend. And that's not like a knock on anybody, but you know, for folks who have had all of, you know, they've lost relationships and they've lost communities and they've lost so many things and have still held on to faith and still then extend more grace than I, I, I think I've ever seen from, from people who haven't experienced that. Um, the grace and the wisdom, I think. Uh, and those are the people that like I most admire and most learn from. Yeah, I think like wrapping up my year in the Bible, I would say that there is definitely a theme about how the people at the margins are ripe for God. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the 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 Hebrew nation under the oppression of the Egyptian pharaohs, for example, is like ripe. Mm-hmm to be kind of shepherded and loved on and like the source of, you know, God's presence in that time in history, you know, God doesn't approach the privileged. Mm -hmm. God doesn't go, oh, well, these people who are doing really well, you know, living in the Delta with with all of these resources and a great trade route, like, Mm -hmm they're right for my intervention. I feel like there's something to how we encounter the divine when we are at our end mm-hmm. that does provide a depth in a way that's all inspiring and teaches, or they'd say like that preaches, right? Like that'll, mm-hmm. that'll, that'll preach. Like it, it does that. Like that'll reach. Like it'll, it grows all of us to encounter it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So we will be. You guys are hearing this in January. We're going to be back in February mm-hmm. to talk about how the first month of reading through the Gospels has gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you for being here and appreciate your time. See you soon. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. And you can find the podcast that Paula and I are going to be using to go through the Gospels. It's called Let's Read the Gospels with Annie F. Downs. I'll put a link in the show notes. And if you visit the link, you can also find um, she's got a download where you can get the reading plan uh, for each month and everything. I will see you later this month. And then we'll be back in February with Paula again.